test, test. Test, test. Are you caffeinated? I am caffeinated enough. <laughs> I actually don't know if you want me to do an intellectual freedom podcast on like full caffeine. Oh. Because who knows what could happen? Fireworks. <laughs> he has the ability to slow down the sound. That's a good point. <laughs> you could you could render me intelligible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But would would the rage levels be higher? And is that the right word for it? Uh, they would. Yes. <laughs> I would call it passion. Passion, right? Yes. Yes. But I also think that anger, especially in women and librarianship, is a highly feminized field. Mm-hmm. Anger is often not given the due that oh, I can think. Can we do a whole podcast should, about that? <laughs> we should just do a whole podcast about like books with women who are mad. Yeah. Well, outrage is required to meet outrage. We're here to talk about people who want to ban books because they are uh, ostensibly outraged by these books. Yes. But we are perhaps outraged at the proposition of censorship. I would say so. Like, let's, I mean. Okay, so welcome to the podcast. We're recording again? Of course we're recording. We're talking about coffee and books and banning books and intellectual freedoms. This is what I hope will be. Yes. Yes will be the start of a quarterly series, possibly even more, a little mini-series where we're going to be continually checking in with Mary Graham over there, who you heard. Hello. Cricket's here with me. Hi. And we're going to be talking about something that will not go away, which is uh, uh, attempts to ban or at least challenge books, primarily in school libraries. Mary Graham's going to be here to talk all about that. But uh, perhaps you heard about this in the news. Perhaps you heard a few inklings a few mentions of this and you're wondering what is that what why who what where <laughs> patmos and you want to know a little bit more about that that's why you tuned into this podcast it's called a little too quiet it's brought to you by the friends of the ferndale library it is of course the podcast we produce right here inside of the ferndale area district library and i didn't say it yet but my name is jeff so yeah so that's table settings here um i, I told myself i wasn't gonna get this dramatic this early in the episode but you know what let's just go for it go let's for just it put it all out there like what are we talking about today only a threat to the literal building blocks of our society yes <laughs> so that's where we're starting from i don't from. know why i'm laughing no it's, we have to we we have to laugh so that we don't sob and become unintelligible on mic right um, and i was also so this is the second uh even though it's the right. first of a series this is the second episode that this little trio is doing about intellectual freedom Mm -hmm. and i passed the first episode along to the mla intellectual freedom task force it is now on their page their intellectual freedom toolkit um but the uh (laughs) the chair of the committee emailed me after he listened to this podcast on one of his commutes and he was like thank you for such a a a great primer and also it was funny and normally this is a very depressing topic so he was like (laughs) thank you for being funny and but perhaps this is this is an iteration of something akin to gallows humor. We're laughing yes. because it's so serious. Yes, exactly. It's not that we're being frivolous about it. It's right. just that, you know, the more intellectual freedom work I do, and I love doing it, yeah. but it it sure can make your doctor worried about your blood pressure. <laughs> so, so you have to find, at least for me, and so, you know, you have to find 
things in it to go like um for example there was uh memorial day 2022 there was a flyer passed out in jamestown that was Mm -hmm. an anti-library flyer and it was i said horrible things you know it was like oh librarians are are giving your children pornography and things like that and the uh, intellectual freedom task force got a copy of this flyer it was sent around to our email list to be like you know know thine enemy it's it's good to know what these folks are passing around at the memorial day parade and we Everyone's reaction was, oh, God, this is terrible. And then we spent most of the email thread making fun of the graphic design <laughs> because it was truly one of the ugliest flyers I've ever seen. Um, and and we were all hoping we were like, wow, pink and black is just terrible on the eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe nobody will read it. And unfortunately, I, I don't think that was the case. But that's the kind of thing is that like we are doing very important work. And also we are going to point at laugh just to give ourselves a little bit of a break. Was it in Comic Sans? No. I mean, comics are in the name. But, right. <laughs> I feel like spiritually it was in Comic <laughs> Sans. <laughs> comic Sans. So, uh, you so know. The, uh, so you mentioned Jamestown, and that's where the Petmos Library is. Yes, dear dear listener. I, Which is over by Grand Rapids. I shared for a while, I think, many people's confusion, because most libraries are named after the town in which they are. Sure. We are the Ferndale Area District Library. We are located in Ferndale. The Patmos Library is in Jamestown. Right. So, some libraries are named after rich people who gave money to build the library. Yes. Uh, and it is indeed on the west side of the state. So if you Google Jamestown and Patmos, you'll get information about the Patmos Library. Yes. And there is a question that someone has posted, mm-hmm. apparently to the Patmos Library, saying, what can the rest of us in Michigan do to halt the parochial stupidity of the threat to your library? And Patmos kindly answered, vote yes on a millage, Mm -hmm. um, or just translate that to, if there's ever a threat to your library and you're concerned, support your library wherever you are. Yeah. And I mean, right now, uh, so the, as of this is recording January of 2023, uh, the Patmos Library has lost two millage elections. They lost one in August of 22 and then another one in November of 22. Um, and this is very, very directly connected to their refusal to remove books with queer characters and queer themes from their collection, right. um, particularly Maya Kobabe's Genderqueer, which is currently the most banned book in America. And the library is currently slated to close uh, in early 2025. Um, they've received a lot of private donations that are going to keep them going. But like, that's not a that's not a way to continually fund a library. Right. You can't count on Nora Roberts. You can't count on Nora for everything to prop up. <laughs> we can count on her for a lot, but not to not to um, count more, on her for yeah. some sexy intrigue, even a little fantasy trilogy. And we can count on her for but, striking author photos and leather jackets. Yes, but, but she can't fund all the libraries. No. But we we do appreciate her making a giant donation to the Patmos Library. Um, But yeah, I mean, something that has been really sad to me, the more stories that I've read about this situation, um, is that uh, there was uh, an article in Insider in December of 2022 about uh, an unnamed librarian who went to a a board meeting where people were being horrible. And like, she snapped and good for her. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you people are just being awful. And I can't hire anyone. I moved here two years ago. I've regretted it every day for the last year because you're just mean right. and terrible. And she she was like, I'm a Christian just like all of you. Mm-hmm. What is your problem? Why are you not behaving? Why, why are you not acting right? And 
And what makes me really sad is that I don't see, you know, any stories about an upswell of people from Patmos showing up to board meetings and say, saying, actually, we love the library, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and there could be a lot of reasons for that. It could be happening and I'm not hearing about it. It could not be happening because people are afraid for their safety. Mm -hmm. The library keeps closing early there because of threats. And I mean, this people like to talk about how, oh, this is the very worst case scenario. And Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it is. But like, it's happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's happening right over there. Right. It's here. Uh, It's here. So, yeah. So you mentioned, just to refresh people, you mentioned the MLA task force. Yes. You want to bring people up to date on that? Of course. So the MLA is the Michigan Library Association. It's our state professional organization for library professionals. Uh, And the Intellectual Freedom Task Force is a group of MLA members who collate resources to educate people about their intellectual freedom rights and how they can support their libraries. We also provide moral and financial support to library professionals undergoing materials challenges so they can contact us and say, hey, we need money for a lawyer. We have a fund for that. Or they can contact us and say, hey, we don't need any money, but like, God, we are bummed out. <laughs> I love the moral support. That's yeah, awesome. no, and that's a huge part of it. And uh, I am I am not the person who, who gets those calls or anything. I mostly um, do written communications, mm-hmm. sort of like explanatory things mm-hmm. uh, that go out in our email blasts and are in the Intellectual Freedom Toolkit. So like I do stuff like what even does intellectual freedom mean? How do libraries even pick what to have in their collections? Because that's very relevant. Um, that's the kind of work that I do. And then I also do trainings for frontline staff about uh you know if if someone comes to the desk and is really mad about a book that you have like what do you do right um and the and... slogan is michigan's abbreviation is mi yes uh and we love to use that we sure slogans. Do. we love to it's very useful it is very useful so we say my work. right to read yes mi my right to read yes which i think effectively answers the question of what is what even is intellectual freedoms? Yes. Literally your right yep. to read. It's literally your right to read. It is your right. Uh, so we talk about um, in library science, like I, we, I learned a lot about this in grad school, um, availability and accessibility. So availability is, is it there? And accessibility is, can I get to it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so intellectual freedom is the right to have materials about a huge variety of subjects from a huge variety of viewpoints, both available and accessible to you. Um, right. And so, yeah, it is It is your right to read. It's also your right to watch films and your right to listen to CDs that have the explicit label on them. And, mm. you know, it's it's all of that. It also involves your right to privacy, which I know that we're going to get to. Oh, we're going to get point. to that. We're going to get to that. But this is very much uh, someone else saying, I don't want you, Mary yes. Graham, yes. or you, Cricket, yes. to be able to access yes. this book. Yes. Yes. Because I don't like this book. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, my opinion yes. is so important that I get to decide what everyone can access. Exactly. Yes. Apparently. Because it's... because these these people consider themselves the moral arbiters of a decrepit, degenerate society. I guess so. <laughs> um, and like that's why it's that's why they call it a moral panic. <laughs> right. And so, um, just to look at the year in review. What a year uh, it's been. Oh, the in, indeed, we have seen. and rougher for school libraries, we should say. Yes, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, Is that what happened in Dearborn? Dearborn, it was the school library. Yes. So Dearborn has, and I took a bunch of notes about this so that I would not screw my facts up. Sure. Um, Dearborn is is much closer to us here in Ferndale. Yes, it is. Than, than, than uh, um, Jamestown. 
And uh, yeah, so with Zierborn, it's been the public school system. Um, big parental outcry back in the fall. I think they had 600 people show up to a board meeting in October. Uh, the next month's board meeting was noticeably lower. That was like 60. Um, <laughs> but as of the end of 2022, I haven't checked for more recent updates this year. Two books had been pulled from the high school library, Push by uh, Sapphire and Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McKiston. Um, and then other books have been pulled from the middle school library, including Eleanor and Park by Rainbow Roll. And that's, I have questions actually about the legality of that. I am not a lawyer. Sure. Um, but uh, the Supreme Court case that gets cited most often with regards to school libraries is Island Trees versus Pico, which is from the 70s, uh, and says that school boards can't remove books based on they don't like the content. Mm. I don't really understand what argument to get around that has been used mm-hmm. um i mean it's been the, they've they've said it's been deemed inappropriate for high schoolers um and their current collection development policy which i went and looked up does say that everything has to have literary or educational merit i've read red white and moral blue and do argue that it has literary merit um and push is also a very well-regarded book mm-hmm. um so again not sure how they're getting around that one, but also people, people of, get away with questionable legal, legal yeah, things all the time. Yeah, I think they're time. just like, well, I don't like that law. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, to fight and, that law is and an then, awful lot of effort. It is, and money. You're kind of bummed out. You know, it's yeah. like I can talk to them blue in the face about how like you can't be fired in retaliation for organizing a union, but it happens all the time. Right. Wage theft is also illegal, and it's one of the most widespread crimes in the U.S. Since we're on that subject, sort of, and we're getting closer to the subject of rights, I'm just going to throw this into the mix since my laptop will die any minute now. But also because I'm curious as to whether it might come up in in your task force. Yeah. But there's literally a news article right now that says, and it's taking a left turn here, Michigan is banning inmates from reading books. Oh, yeah, that's not new. Not new. It's been happening since the late 90s, apparently. Yeah, yeah it's this, getting worse for sure. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. Uh, and they're they're banning almost... Oh, it's not even specific to, yeah. to queer-themed stories. So, oh, no, it's everything. So talk about, like... I mean, that gets into the, to the territory of, like, do prisoners have rights and are we taking them away? And, like, goodness gracious. Yeah, but... we don't like to think about incarcerated people as people. Right. Um, yeah. So it's all... I mean, yeah, it's all very tied to... If you can take away people's rights because they've been deemed criminals, then suddenly a lot more people are going to be deemed criminals. Like this is not part of the frustrating thing is that it's not rocket science and it's not new. Right. Is that you point back 60 years, 80 years and you're like, well, there's nothing new under the sun. And yet trying to deal with the correctional system and prisons in general is already I haven't personally had to do it myself, but Mm -hmm. in graduate school, I knew people who were working on projects trying to, you know, work with incarcerated folks to get books to them or just general literacy or reference services. And it's a nightmare. Like the warden decides that you blinked wrong and good luck getting in there for mm-hmm. another month. It's, it's I think, absolutely atrocious and morally obscene. I can't make this episode funny. No. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like, that's I, a real. I got nothing. Yeah, that's I know. A, yeah. But, um, um, but just as like, but this episode is also supposed to hopefully lay out what's at stake here yeah well and i think looking at like bringing up the the total (laughs) dissolving with acid of the rights of incarcerated people 
is a is a great road into how this affects the least mm-hmm. respected people in our society. Mm. Because where has the current moral panic begun? Children. Right. We don't like thinking of children as autonomous human beings. Sure, of course. In America. Like, right. we just don't... I mean, something that you're hearing about over and over again is parental rights. Right. Parents have... Re- and, and, you know, something that... I speak only for myself in a personal context and not on behalf of, you know, the Intellectual Freedom Task Force, because we're in the business of winning, um, is that what you'll hear a lot is people saying, well, you can decide what your children read, but you can't decide what other people's children read. And I, as a children's librarian, don't agree with that. Mm. I think your child gets to decide what they read, Uh, particularly once they've hit the age of seven mm-hmm. honestly they we can talk about subjects that are developmentally appropriate or things that might frighten them easily or something like that but at the end of the day your child is a human person sure who doesn't get to make a lot of choices <laughs> and i really think that the choice of what they read is a choice that they have the right to make mm-hmm. um one of the more famous i can't remember if this is from island trees versus pico i think it's actually from tinker versus des moines which is about symbolic speech and the black armbands and the protest of the Vietnam War. But there's a Supreme Court case in which a fairly famous line from the decision, and I might be paraphrasing it, is uh, you don't give up the the Bill of Rights doesn't stop at the school door. And because I work in a public library, the Bill of Rights certainly doesn't stop here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we're not even dealing with school. <laughs> and so, you know, we're looking at children are already so controlled by society, by the school system, by the adults in their life. Um, And it's one thing to say, you know, well, a child can't take care of themselves yet, so they need to live with adults who take care of them and who love them. They can't. They can't iron shirts. They can't iron shirts. Really, do not. They should not. No. Right. Yeah. Um, It's why they're always sticky too. Uh (laughs) So, uh, you know, that's that's a separate thing. But I. I think that as as early as possible, you should be able to make those kind of, of decisions of, you know, well, I want to read this book. Right. It's available at my library. My library card is my own. It's Nobody p- talked to me. And, and Neil Gaiman writes so eloquently. He's such a champion of libraries. He writes so eloquently about being a child and going to his local library and being treated seriously mm-hmm. and not being told... That's too much for you. You're not old enough for that. Just like the the desk was the right height for him to see over. And that was a librarian who was like, good morning, Neil. How can I help you today? The way that they would with any grown up. Yes. Um, that is one of my favorite parts of my job. Mm. And, you know, so when people keep looking for one more nexus to control their children, it drives me bonkers. Mm. You know, have they not suffered enough? I just got an email, as we all did, that... Uh... Uh, the American Library Association has uh, a webinar of some sort tomorrow on the right to read. So I think it's worth noting clearly, as yeah. you're here on the task force of the My Right to Read, yeah. that uh, librarians are uh, doing something about it. Sure are. And, and I... I'm actually doing a webinar later today for uh, the ALA Graphic Novel and Comics Roundtable mm-hmm. about how to, I like to call it buy a plunger before you need a plunger. Um, you know, how to be prepared for a challenge before you ever experience one. Yeah. Um, which is something that we've taken very seriously here at Ferndale. And can you, you can you give a spoiler to the listeners at home who won't be at that totally. webinar? Totally. Um, so the key to having a plunger before you need a plunger when it comes to uh, 
<laughs> so we had to make it funny somehow. Of okay? course. Um, and that line does get a laugh when I use it in my professional development trainings. Mm-hmm. Um, is a uh, policy. This is where like the Leslie Nope in my brain gets very excited and goes bonkers. Um, is that the two policies that you really want to be ironclad are your uh, materials selection policy, sometimes also called the collection development policy. And so that lays out the guidelines for how do we pick what to put here? Because people do like to bring out the argument of I pay the very high property millage in Ferndale. You know, I, it's my is my money going towards things that I don't like, mm-hmm. um, to which I personally like to respond, well, I don't like that my money goes towards foreign wars, but I don't want the IRS on my case, so we all live. Right. Um, <laughs> but also, uh, a collection development policy is something you can show someone and lay it out and say, here, here's our policy. This was approved by the library board, which in our case is directly elected by mm-hmm. the residents. Uh, and it says how we pick things. And that you know has to do with there's a lot of trade publications out there. We look at reviews. We look at, is this going to meet the needs of the community? Uh, personally, I have a lot of like 7 to 12-year-olds who are very interested in construction and architecture. So every time I see a cool book about construction and architecture, I'm like, this is going to be a hit with the upper elementary crowd. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I also am in charge of the sex ed books. And I think I would be remiss in my duties uh, if I wasn't getting a wide variety of comprehensive, inclusive books that are development developmentally appropriate about sexuality. Um, and putting them right there on the shelf with the money in my budget. Um, and they have scientific merit, which is included in the collection development policy. So you can point to that and say, well, this is scientifically accurate information in this book. Mm-hmm. And our policy says that we buy things with scientific merit. So that's why this book is on the shelf. So that is step number one, materials selection policy make sure that it's updated that it's thorough that it's something that you can point at and go here this is why we have it right um the other thing is your materials challenge policy and your request for reconsideration of materials form and (sighs) that's the big one um i personally find that a lot of uh request for reconsideration forms are not thorough enough my opinion is that somebody's got to do a book report and it should not be you, the library professional. Mm -hmm. It should be the person who thinks they can do your job better than you can. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so (laughs) if someone, you know, comes to the desk or calls the library and says, you know, I think it's horrible that you have this sex ed book on the shelf and I'm very angry about it and, you know, something, something, think of the children. Uh, You can say, well... Here is a request form for us to reconsider this material. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what it sounds like. We're not making any promises. Here is this long form. It includes questions like, did you read this in full? If the answer is no, the form is invalid. Mm. And that's printed right there. Um, Did you read this in full? What's the problem with it? Cite sources that agree with you that this is a problem. Um, can you find any uh, reviews from trade publications that support this? Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you put in the collection and in place of this? If we took this out, what would you suggest we replace it with? And basically, like, the question of, like, why do you think you should get to make decisions for oh, this <laughs> for this community? It's a legitimate question. It's a I legitimate mean, question. All um, of us had to interview for our job. Yeah. Right? We yeah. didn't just call and say, hire me. Right. And many of us have years of experience in library work. Some of us have master's degrees. 
And all of us, master's degree or no, care very deeply about library work and have thought very carefully about the collections that we select for and care very deeply about our patrons. You know, I like that I work in a job where I serve people. You know, folks come up and ask me questions and I'm like, that's a good question. Let's figure it out. So, you know, those are the, those are the two like big ways to be prepared. And then once that form gets turned back in, um, in our case, it's reviewed by the director who consults with the person who bought the book and the supervisor of the person who bought the book and they make a decision. It can be appealed to the board, but the board's decisions are final. Mm-hmm. You know, all we say that we'll do is reconsider it. I think it because I think we're pretty good at uh, collection development here at this library. I think in most cases we would reconsider it and go, no, yeah, that fits. That's staying. Yeah. I might be biased, but, uh, and I mean, this as a compliment, but I think that uh, the library and by not our library, I mean, the invention of it yes, in modern society yeah. library. thousands of years ago yeah. is one of the few things that the more you learn about it, yeah. it's almost like the less simplified it becomes exactly. in a way. Yep. Because if you ask someone, what is a library? It's a building full of books. Okay, dig a little deeper. Well, people have to collect the books. Yes. Well, who who are the books for? Uh, what books should be there? And it just keeps going down and down and Where down. Where do we get the books from? What exactly. books are being published right now? Right. Uh, yeah. What about the Wi-Fi that people want to use? Right. Why should this book be in the library? Yeah. Why is it important? Yeah. The, the library has limited space. You right. You can't put all yeah. the books in the library. No. Right. Yeah. And that's a big thing that I tell people is that we don't have infinite space and we don't have infinite money. So that's because people look will... at Looking at you, James Patterson. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it, man. You're taking up too much of our shelf space. You get three shelves and that's Your it. Shelf hog. <sighs> anyway. But yeah, like um, you don't want to waste time. Like if everybody's so concerned about where their taxes are going, if we're paying people to catalog, label, and prepare books that aren't going to go out, that's not a, you know. Right. So it's both what's there and what's not there. Right. And I think, you know, there is just so much fear and i don't say this as an excuse because like i'm afraid of things all the time and i try to not be a jerk about it um (laughs) but you know i think about like these these parents in hillsdale who were like oh my child could walk past a copy of patience and esther which is a graphic novel for adults it's very clearly labeled on the front cover that it is for people over the age of 18. (laughs) um you know oh my child could walk by patience and esther and pick it up well okay so then what? Yeah, yeah, like you. First of all, you have <laughs> their accurately, head blows off. <laughs> you have accurately described uh, the function of a public library. Right. Second of all, if you're that concerned, just stay with them while they're at the library. But it is panic, and it, and it is, is panic, it's and it's body is... snatchers panic because the presumption there yeah. is that the child is now incurably radicalized like there's some sort of yeah, oh no, red-eyed they're to, zombie they're going to pick up patience and Esther and all that they're going to be able to think about is lesbian sex for the rest of their life right there's a lot of lesbian They'll sex just in that fall book. into a, it's a trance. Great book. Um, and, you know, and, and that's, and a lot of it comes down to, because that's a great question, actually, Jeff, is I think, like, you know, asking these people, what's the worst that can happen? Right. Your child picks up a book you don't agree with. What's the worst that can happen? They will literally become a red eyed zombie that will only be thinking about that book. Yeah. And they'll start babbling. But, but what these, uh, what a lot of these people really mean is, oh, they might think it's okay to be queer. 
Absolutely. And a lot of Or they might see a queer person. Yeah. They might see a queer person as a human yeah. and empathize with them. Yes. Or they might pick up a book that has a very realistic depiction of racism and they might go, That sounds awful for the person experiencing racism. Right. What can I do to to, to help stop perpetuating that? It's this kind of stuff that makes me admire more and more Parable of the Sour. Uh, by Octavia Butler. Yeah. This idea of empathy. Yeah. And how we're afraid of it. Yeah. And and ultimately, you know, what I I know I was dramatic at the beginning about like it's only the attempted destruction of the foundational blocks of the democratic society, but a lot of these people are trying to remove stories about racism and injustice mm-hmm. and queer both both queer histories queer sufferings and queer happiness they're trying to remove all of these stories as a precursor to removing those people from public life uh and and that's why it is holy crap a huge huge deal right it's that Um, slippery slippery slope yes that we're on Yes. I feel like we uh, wanted to get back to this idea of rights because it is something I wanted to, yes. to move into. And we don't have, but we very well could have in future episodes of this, uh, someone from circulation because I think circulation yes. specialists are also dealing with uh, the rights of privacy when you go to the library. Yep. But there's also something woven into that with like you're using our public computers, et cetera. Yep. But yeah. So I definitely... Privacy is a whole other thing. Definitely want to talk about privacy rights because I think that... There's a certain, I don't know, there can be a certain attitude of like, oh, well, why should I care, you know, if Facebook's harvesting my data or whatever? Uh. Like, <laughs> like I have nothing to hide. Here's the thing. That doesn't matter. Right. You still have a right to privacy and who knows? Someday the government might decide that something you think is perfectly normal right. is in fact something that they're suddenly very interested in mm-hmm. uh, and that you might wish you could have hidden after all. Um, and so what I love about libraries uh, is that it takes privacy rights very seriously. So I don't know how many people out there know this, but there is a thing called the Library Privacy Act. Um, we have one that is, a, it's a state law. So we have one that covers Michigan. Um, every state has their own. I used to work in Massachusetts and had to be familiar with the version there. Mm-hmm. Ours was just amended in 2021. So it's been updated pretty recently. And we can't share your library records unless there is a very good reason. And by a very good reason, I mean a warrant. <laughs> um, I remember this coming up and Cricket and I are, are, are the same age. I remember this coming up in 2002. Yes. When so I, when I was a library page. There is a big old history regarding libraries and the Patriot Act. Right. And library, like much deeper and more fascinating that I can get into right now. But like, oh my gosh, good listener, please go look it up. If I because, check out the yeah. Anarchist's Cookbook, yes, the government so, shouldn't know about it. Yes. Um. This is part of... I'm not saying that I did that, government. Actually, it's... Or maybe a, I did. Well, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't and matter. And nobody can snitch on you now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because librarians... I did when, it. When the Patriot Act rolled out, librarians were like, oh, absolutely not. And so <laughs> part of the reason that uh, Wait, we don't... Wait, hold on. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Schitt's Creek quote. Yeah. <laughs> I won't be doing any of that, but thank you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um <laughs> That we should write that one down for the uh, TikTok ideas. Um, and uh, yeah, so post Patriot Act, um, a lot of librarians were like, oh, I won't be doing that, but thank you. Uh, and the reason that if you come up to the desk and you ask me, hey, I 
read this book three years ago and it was really good, but I can't remember the title, but the cover was blue. Can you check and see what I checked out three years ago? I can't. We literally don't keep that. Right. Um, and we don't keep it because it is easier to tell the FBI, I don't have that information, than to set it on fire in front of them and then say, I don't have that information. <laughs> well, here's the thing. We can keep that information, but you, you have specifically to have to check the little box that says, I want this information saved. Interesting. Yeah. And we do make people sad a lot. And I used to work in circulation shortly after 2002, mm. where, you know, People would like to pick up their partner's holds. We have like a form you have to sign here. And that's yeah. important because we like to go to the worst case scenario and be like, well, what if your spouse is checking out books about divorce that they don't want you to know about? You know, what if your kid is checking out books about, well, that's a different thing. Again, well, so like, actually, because yeah. I, I went and double checked the uh, all the references to minors mm -hmm. in the Library Privacy Act as it currently stands. And let's see. Uh, in order to release a library record to someone who is not the person that library record pertains to, you need the consent of the person liable for payment or return of materials. I do not know how this currently affects libraries that do not have fines. Um, now, theoretically, one could argue that we do still require sometimes people to pay for lost materials. And in that case, if you consider it would be the parent, would be the parent because minors can't enter contracts. And so, you know, if you consider the library card application a contract for payment of lost materials, it gets sticky, but it's not super obvious. Um, and again, libraries becoming more complicated. Yes. Libraries, more anyway, all this to say, we're not trying to hassle people. We're not trying to make your life harder by not letting you pick up your grandma's holds. Right. But there's there's reasons for it that I think benefit you. You you may not know, but it benefits you. Well, and even when we shelve holds, we turn the spines around so that other people can't be snooping on what you mm -hmm. are waiting, you know, to come pick up. Um, and I just I am someone who enjoys the unseen life. Mm -hmm. I enjoy my privacy and I just like that things are my business. Um, and, you know, even for library records that we do have for something you currently have checked out, if the cops show up and say, you know, I need the records for this person, we say, Sh okay, please hand over your warrant. Mm -hmm. And if they do not have one, they have to come back with one. That is just the way the game is played. Library records are not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. So people can't just, you know, file with FOIA to be snooping on what you're checking out. And I think there's plenty of people who don't know that yet. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of people who don't realize what a problem surveillance is because we don't like to think we don't like to think about families as sites of abuse. Like we don't. Unfortunately, statistically, they're the most likely sites of abuse. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes working at a library, you see people on their bad days mm -hmm. when you work in children's. Um, and we've now gotten training on how to respond to the situations, but it's still really distressing to watch. Yeah. And so people, I think that for for someone like me who grew up in a very stable family with, you know, spouses, you know, my parents are spouses who do treat each other very well. It, I think it doesn't occur to a lot of people that that kind of surveillance of children or of spouses is a huge part of domestic violence. Right. And like Cricket said, like always jumping to the worst case scenario, can it be a bit of a bummer? Yeah, but like those are the people I care about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worst case scenarios do happen sometimes, yeah. unfortunately. A lot of this, for me, as a non-librarian, but I think all library workers are really 
honestly involved in this. Mm -hmm. And I saw so retract that statement altogether. We're trying to find our, for me, it looks like we're, we're really trying to find our, our role here because there's a certain amount of sensitivity here, especially if we return back to the, the subject that starts this episode, which is banning books and challenging books, yeah. is that people out there who are doing that, they might uh, they might see you as a, th a threat or an agitator yes. or the bad babysitter who's going to let them eat ice cream yeah. or the indoctrinator. Or, I'm I'm avoiding a word that starts with G. Yes, thank you yes. for that. Um, and so, like, yeah, the 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 my right to read and all these webinars that are happening. Yeah, it does seem to be that that's part of the conversation too. Is I think we do know our role, though. Okay, good. Yeah. Tell me, tell me what it is. So, How do you balance it? Because like. <laughs> We 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 use the the word you know we we we're upset we're angry we're 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 outraged you know so our role is again to provide access heck yeah yeah and I think that there's like for me personally I sort of divide what I do in my professional life and my on the clock hours mm -hmm. like like when I say something like you know oh the intellectual freedom task force is not going to come right out and say actually we don't think parents should get to control what their children read because we're in the business of winning is that we're like okay if we think that we are going to win by placating some people and saying like yes yes fine whatever your own children but other people's children right. and that will keep a book on a shelf right and if the goal is to keep a book on a shelf and to win a court case, mm -hmm. which I think right now, like books on shelves is is the biggest goal yeah. is is I mean, obviously, it would be great if this wave of challenges would eventually just stop because it's extremely taxing on library staff. It's mm -hmm. extremely stressful. But renewed millages books on shelves, I think, is a lot of the ultimate goal mm -hmm. there in my professional sort of work in my personal work i'm out here being like abolish the family question mark you know which <laughs> and i realize i just said that on a podcast that i'm like doing on work time and this is um, less caffeinated uh, yeah awesome. so um so you know i i find it you know yeah i agree with with cricket that's like professionally like yeah we do know our role and it's continuing access it's continuing availability it's saying like uh hey the law doesn't actually let you do this mm -hmm. and we are going to have procedures in place and we are going to follow those procedures and you can't just say i don't like it <laughs> in my brain i think i was and i did want to just give a shout out to t-shirts that were for sale over in our neighbor city of royal oak that says i'm with the band as it as in with I'm not with the music band. What, yeah. I am with the B-A-N-N-E-D. Yeah. And this incredible list of books that have been challenged or banned over the years. Yeah. So That's I'm with the band. t-shirt. Fantastic t-shirt. Sold yeah. out immediately. And I realize now that it was it was the efforts of friends of the Royal Oak Library, yeah. not the Royal Oak Librarians themselves. And oh, dear listener, if and you I, are thinking to yourself, <laughs> what can I do? Right. Like, we've been talking a lot about what librarians are, and library workers are doing, and we're doing a lot, is the answer, is that like, Lord, we are not sitting around. We we are on it. We are stubborn. We are mad. And I think that's okay. Like, my anger certainly fuels me. Um, and I, I try to go home at the end of the day and let go of it well enough to, to sleep well and think right. about like a, a, a day's work well done. Um, but what other folks can do is, yeah, join your friends of the library, sure. you know, and uh, show up to your board meetings. Yeah. We've had a couple of board meetings recently that have had incredible community turnout. Um, and as someone who was at one of those, it's wonderful to watch people who live in your service area stand up and say, I think these guys are great. 
I mean, Absolutely. like that has been fueling me and that costs nobody any money. It costs folks maybe half an hour of their time to show up to a meeting and just, you know, get up to the little podium during the public comment section. And and when the chips are on the line or whatever that saying is, uh, when the <laughs> chips are down or whatever, yeah. when it is when it is like serious, like you're on the brink of a challenge. Yeah. Your your board is going to have to make that call. Yeah. Likely. Yeah. So go to that board meeting and say, no, please do yeah. not ban these books. Yeah. And especially if you live in a place like in Ferndale where right. the board is directly elected, you know, mm -hmm. it's not like I uh, I live in Detroit and I don't get to vote for my library commission, which bums me out because mm -hmm. I have things to say. Um, but uh, but if you live somewhere where you get to directly vote for your board. Yeah. Think about running for your board. If you can't run for your board, you know, go and make clear that like, uh, hey, this is a democratically elected body. And, you know, if you don't support the librarians, we could fire you next election cycle. That's how democracy works. But also, if you have board members that are doing a great job, yes. let them know. They, yes, like um, our board members don't get paid. They are elected, but they're essentially volunteers. They're volunteers. If they're doing a great job, say, hey, thanks for your amazing volunteer work, right. because that yeah. is also a good way to keep excellent board members on a board and also you know like patmos doesn't have a director right now because who wants to come in and captain that sinking ship and it's been very stressful like it's been very very difficult people are afraid for their safety and so it's been the head of their board who's the one talking to the press and who's been saying things like we're not compromising on these books this is basically a hostage situation and you know we refuse to let down the the queer people in this community by taking these books off the shelf that's incredible and I highly doubt that that board is paid either. Yeah. You know, so. Maybe write that guy a thank you note. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that at least, you know, I don't think the satisfaction of knowing that you've done the right thing is cold comfort. I think it's greater comfort to also keep books on the shelves and keep libraries open. But like, I think that's an act of great moral courage. And I think people should say so. I think where I was going as I was uncaffeinatedly rambling about, you know, where, where do we, what was our place in this? What is our lane? Because yeah. when I saw the shirt i'm with band mm -hmm. uh because i always think of the worst case scenario or i'm always uh anxiously over worrying or mm -hmm. overthinking about things like oh is that going to make the opposition to these books even more incensed mm -hmm. it was in sort of a oh how dare you now we're gonna even we're gonna ban books even harder now uh escalation meets escalation but what this is also an important note is that if you're sort of um, on the sidelines, I don't know, and you do love your library and you are worried, you have to step over to your library yeah. and show that support. And the great thing is for a lot of librarians, um, I think about how humans are like, I don't know the, the right we're it's i'm making like a walking motion with my fingers bipedal? It's not, well it's not that we're bipedal it's that we're um persistent predators we mm. don't move fast but we don't get tired ah. so we just we just walk behind animals who just eventually get tired and lie down and like that's how early humans like hunted them um is persistence predators Grr. and so yeah exactly and so i think about like with a <laughs> that's why we don't have the dodo with a <laughs> why I should have had more coffee this morning right. so I could come up with the word persistence. Um, 
if we, you know, there's an argument to be made that if you've got a good collection development policy and a good challenge policy, you just wear these people out mm -hmm. with good policy. Especially with, with that book report situation. Exactly. With just being a good persistence predator mm -hmm. where you're just plodding along with like, okay, another form. We have 60 days to get back to you on day 59. No, we're going to keep it. You know, okay, you want to appeal to the board? Well, they all believe in intellectual freedom. So good luck. You know, that's one way to wear people out, I think. Say, um, say anything about libraries. They love procedure. We love a good we're like frickin', document. We're like freaking NASA. We put them all on our website so that you can go see them. That's right. Uh, which, but yeah, yeah, again, you can't, there isn't really compromise on this issue. No. Like, I think I, I said it on the last podcast is that, like, even at Patmos, they put genderqueer and several other titles behind, behind the, the circulation desk where people had to ask for them. And that was not enough. It doesn't work. And that's, you know, that's an infringement of intellectual freedom rights mm -hmm. because and privacy rights, because you have the right to go into the stacks and read a book without ever checking it out. Right. And nobody ever has to know that you've read it. That is, and I cannot stress this enough, your business. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things as a librarian is being like, oh, no, no. That's your business. Happy to help you with whatever you need, but you don't have to tell me anything you don't you want to. You have the right to browse. You I, have if, the, I, yeah. if I can walk in, I want to read the first page yeah. of For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yeah. And I want to make the decision, doesn't toll for me. Yeah. And then I leave. <laughs> it will you never can, toll for you me. Can, no you can sit here and read a whole book without ever checking it out. This is not Barnes and Noble, mm -hmm. you know? Um, you can actually do that at Barnes and Noble sometimes. Well, sometimes, but sure. you got to hide. And, you know, if someone catches you, you don't have to worry I about anyone catching you. I used to do that you. all the time in college. At a library. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I think that, you know, if you're not a library worker, again, there are these sort of like low intensity things you can do. Mm -hmm. You can join the friends. You can help organize the used book sale that gets us more money and allows us to have such podcasts as a little too quiet brought mm -hmm. to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. <laughs> um, you can go to your board meeting and just say something that saying nice things feels really good. I, yeah. I find that as a, a patron or as a customer, it feels really good. Certainly as a library worker, if someone just comes up and is like, I love it here. You know, this is this is so cool. Yeah, we won't think it's creepy. We don't. Honest. I mean, I swear, please. And like people will come up to the desk and say, I'm sorry to bother you. And I always tell them literally this is what they pay me for. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't pay me to sit at this desk and like, yeah, we're getting know, stare, signage soon, stare but... at a computer for two hours. Like they pay me here to wait for people to ask me things. Mm -hmm. Soon we will have better signage that yeah. essentially says bother us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So like, seriously, when you go to your library, if you come to see us, especially, you know, Strike up a friendly little little chat. Uh, personally, I love it when patrons introduce themselves because then I don't have to call you like blue coat guy every mm -hmm. time you come in. Um, yeah, just don't ask the librarians out on dates. Don't do that. No, that's nope. That's, no. a, nope. that's a great big no. Yep. no. But uh, but you know, come in, have a chat. Tell us about what you're reading. Tell us about a movie that you saw recently and you hated or you loved. You know, this is libraries are for everyone. Tell us about how much you like Noah Roberts. Yes. And we'll introduce you to an author named J.D. Robb. Yes. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> the call was coming from inside the house. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, tell us that you're annoyed that James Patterson takes up three whole shelves. Mm -hmm. uh, or that you love James Patterson. Professionally, we totally. are literally not allowed to judge. We're obliged to um, not judge. Just, please don't rip the covers off James Patterson. Yeah, that happened recently. Please don't deface library property. Yeah. Um, even if it know. is James Patterson, even if we're it, not that sad still, No. Um, so James, come on the podcast. <laughs> Fight us, James. Can you, can if he's you, listening. Can you imagine the numbers we would get? Yeah. Um, can we so, invite him to a podcast and just like politely ask him to stop? 
or slow uh, down. <laughs> yeah, we could see how that goes. <laughs> like, I don't know if he's ever like heard librarian's point of view on his prolificosity. No, I don't know. Uh, James, there's too many. James. There's too many. <laughs> so, you know, all of that to say, I really, really encourage people to get involved. And I think that there can, you know, be this perception that like, oh, it takes a lot of time or a lot mm-hmm. of energy that I don't have. I really don't think it does. You know, if you've if you've got 15 minutes on a Saturday, swing by your library. You know, oh yeah. If you got half an hour on a Thursday night, which is when our board meetings are, swing by your board meeting. I mean, we got an open meetings act in this state. You know, everything is very. It's pretty easy to find. Come to the website. Yep, um, all the agendas and board packets with subsequent materials are posted in advance you can see exactly what they're going to talk about if you say something really nice about us that will make it into the minutes and then all the rest of us will see it and that will be on public record too Mm -hmm. which is fantastic so um so i think yeah uh in summation intellectual freedom building block of a foundational society uh librarians are not letting it go we're here for a long time, not necessarily a good time. <laughs> we're, here, we're here to keep that and one crucial brick from being pulled out of the pyramid. Out of the Jenga exactly. pile. Yeah, we're here to keep libraries open and materials on shelves. Um, and we could really use your help. And, and there's you a can, lot of yep. really easy ways for you to help. Yep. And you can just say something nice. And that does wonders. And yeah. in conclusion, James Patterson writes too many books. He really does. I mean, that's But if something... you come and get your library card, you can access all of them for free. <laughs> that's the beauty. That's the beauty. It's the beauty. One uncontroversial statement, though. He mm-hmm. writes too many books. Mm-hmm. But again, also, check them all out. Yeah. Uh, so this was uh, the first installment, a great first installment of a new quarterly series. You'll hear from us again in March or April. So uh, we'll also have a link for more information to My Right to Read. Yes. And... Uh, Mary Graham, good luck on the rest on the webinar later today. Thanks. So, uh, Cricket, thanks for joining us, too. You're welcome. This is brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. Go join it. I've never, like, implored you, listener, but consider. Consider joining. It'd be better if you live in Ferndale, though. I don't know if you're listening to us in uh, Australia. Could be possible. Anyway, we'll be back next week with more. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell friends about this podcast. And stay stay vigilant, uh, Mary Graham. Stay stay positive stay, stay caffeinated uh yeah i'd say uh stay stay sportive. stubborn stay, stay here n- for a long time not for a good time know your rights <laughs> and come visit your local library get a library card if you don't have one come say hi come say hi we'll see you next week <laughs>